I think we're about ready. So good evening to you. Had to fix some batteries there. Positive, negative thing, you know. They sometimes go opposite ways. Uh, but anyway, good to see you in the house of the Lord tonight. Looking forward to uh, another great night. Enjoyed the message this morning. Looking forward to what the Lord's put on his heart tonight. And we got some special music as well right after we do pick a hymn. So let's just go to the Lord and pray and, and ask God to be with us tonight. Lord, we thank you again. Uh, what a privilege it is, Lord, to be here again in your house, to Lord, to assemble together, to to come to praise you, to worship you, and, Lord, to hear your precious word preached. So just uh, tonight, Lord, we accept our praises, accept our uh, our offerings of thanksgiving, and then a little later, Lord, we just pray that you'd work in our hearts through the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. Thank you again for Jesus. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you for the shed blood, the death, the burial, the resurrection that makes eternal life possible for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Bless our service now in Christ's name. Amen. There we go. Good evening. If you please stand, uh, we're going to sing a couple special or a couple hymnal songs, Christmas songs. Who's excited for Christmas coming up in just a week or so? Oh, yeah. Okay, so we're turning to page 249, please. Oh, come all you faithful. Yeah. 
Now we're going to have a couple specials for Miss McCracken. After she sings, Pastor, you can come on. That's all right.
number 18. There we go. John chapter number 18. Uh, once again, I appreciate the privilege of uh, being able to come up here uh, and uh, preach. And uh, sure appreciate the room. Uh, we have some great fellowship today at lunchtime. Pastor, uh, thank him for uh, inviting us up. And uh, I want to—I want you to hold your place in John 18. This is where we'll be preaching from tonight. Uh, but I want to show you something. Uh, if you'll turn with me, turn, uh, keep your place in John 18. And uh, if you will, turn with me to Hebrews 13. I want to give you a little something tonight. Hebrews chapter 13. So we're going to be in John 18. And turn with me to Hebrews 13. How many is glad you're saved tonight? Raise your hand. Amen. If you're saved and know you're saved, raise both hands. Wave them around a little bit. Make the devil plumb mad tonight. Amen. They like making him mad every chance I get. Hebrews 13. Everybody there? I want to read a verse of scripture to you um, before we get into the message tonight. Hebrews 13. Look with me in verse number 5, if you will. Hebrews 13 and verse number 5. This is a very well-known verse of scripture. And uh, I was reading this, this, uh, this scripture some, I don't know, probably even years ago. And uh, I found something here I want to share with you. Um, once again, I said I was one of what I call a weirdo preacher. Uh, I see things. I, I like to share it. Um, the Bible says in Hebrews 13 and 5, it says... Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Notice the last phrase. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor what? Forsake thee. Boy, ain't that right there awesome. To know that in God's word, he penned it down for you and I today on this December day in 2020 to open our King James Bible up and the word of God speak to our heart and he says, you know what, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Has there ever been a time in your life that God's ever forsaken you? Well, there's probably been many times in your lives, if you're like myself, we've forsaken him. But he said in his word, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, I want you to look at your Bible now. I want us to read it backwards. You ever read the Bible backwards? Notice what the text says. Reading it forwards, it says... For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Now we're going to read it backwards. I want you to read it with me as we read it backwards. You ready? Thee forsake nor thee leave, never will I. Boy, ain't that something. You get in a hard time in your life, you pull Hebrews 13, 5 out and read it one way and read it the other way and it says the same thing. That's how God's word is. Amen. You can stand on it. Hallelujah. All right, John chapter number 18 tonight. If you find your place with me. I won't ask you to stand because we're going to read several verses of Scripture tonight. Uh, I'll do my best to be as timely as I know how to be. Um, uh, my wife uh, will tell you that I'm kind of known in our area as a long-winded preacher. Um, but I, listen, most of you all don't have a two-hour drive waiting you tonight. Amen? Five o'clock work in the morning. Anybody like that? So uh, I'll do my best to be as timely as I can. Um, but at the same time, I want to mind God, okay? John chapter number 18, we're going to begin reading in verse number 28. We're going to pick our text up there. And I'm going to read this verse of scripture, uh, these verses here, pray, and then we'll get into the message tonight. John chapter 18 and verse number 28, the Bible says, Then uh, led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. And it was early, and they themselves went, uh, uh, went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? And they answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we, uh, the Bible says, we, not we would not have delivered him up unto thee. And then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spake, signifying... What death he should die. Verse 33. Then Pilate entered into the, what? We see it again. The judgment hall again, the text says, and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? 
And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. The Bible says in verse 37, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I what? We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. He said, for this, for this, uh, he said, Pilate there, uh, where are we at? Verse number 37. Pilate therefore said, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest I'm a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate saith unto him, verse 38, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find no fault at all. I find in him no fault at all. Verse 39 and verse 40, and we'll get into the preaching. 39 says, But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? And they cried, then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. I want to preach for just a little bit tonight on this thought, when mercy walked in. When mercy walked in. Let's pray for me and pray with me tonight and ask the Lord to help us as we preach. Father, we do love you. And Lord, we come before you in that lovely name of Jesus. Lord, we ask you, God, to help us tonight. Lord, I sure do appreciate your touch this morning. But Lord, I don't want to take that for granted. God, I need your help tonight. Lord, I pray that you would empty me of self and cleanse me of sin. Lord, Father, and fill me with your spirit tonight that I might stand and preach the message that you bid me to preach tonight during this hour. And Father, I pray that you'd open the hearts and minds of people. God, I pray that you'd touch the hearts of your people, your children tonight. Lord, that we would see uh, what Christ went through on the cross of Calvary. Lord, that we might stand tonight, Lord, and say we've been redeemed and set free from the, from the bondage of sin. Lord, I pray most of all, if there's somebody in this sanctuary tonight that's, ne- that's never been saved, God, they've never, uh, they've never known what it's like to be in the free pardon of sin. Lord, I pray, God, that you would deal with their heart tonight. Show them their lost condition, God. Lord, I pray, Father, that they would come to know Jesus as their personal Savior. Lord, we do love you tonight. Thank you most of all for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen and amen. As we read the text here in John chapter uh, number 18, and we look down from John 18 and 28 through the end of the chapter, um, there's something that I, I found as I read this text. Number one, I found the place of mercy. There was a place of mercy. Now I know and I, I, I by, by all means am not taken away from the cross of Calvary because I sure am thankful for the cross. We're going to deal with a few of those things about the cross here in a few minutes. But you know a lot of people when we think about Jesus or uh, some people go to the manger scene. When we think about Jesus some people go uh, to the cross automatically. They go straight to the cross and I am thankful for the cross. I'm thankful for the manger. I'm thankful for the empty tomb. But can I tell you tonight church I'm thankful for the hall of judgment. Because it was in that hall of judgment that a sentence had to be dealt with. And Jesus, we find, he, he stepped up to the plate and, and, and he stood before the Pilate and all those that accused him and he said, I'll be willing to take their place. We find the place of mercy. Mercy walked in that day into that judgment hall and took your place and he took mine. It was a place where a sentence had to be dealt with. What does the Bible say in Romans chapter number 6 and verse 23? For the wages of sin is what? When you and I think about what we used to be, do we, do we think about ourselves hanging out over hell? Do, do we think about ourselves and what we deserved and what we should, what we should have faced? My, my mind is, uh, goes back uh, uh, to, to seeing Jesus there in the middle of, of, the, uh, of Pilate's hall, the judgment hall, as he stood before him, and he was innocent. The only thing he was guilty of was loving you and I. But he stood there innocent, and he was willing to bear all the shame and all the things we're going to talk about in a few minutes, and he did it for you, and he did it for me. It was a hall of judgment. Now, I want you to turn a few places with me tonight, if that's all right with you. Most of the time I stay right in text, but I want, to, I want to show you a few things. Hold your place here and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verse number 9 for just a few minutes. Dealing with the place of mercy, the judgment hall. See, mercy walked in long before the cross. 
Mercy, mercy walked in way before the tomb. Mercy walked into that hall that day and he stood before Pilate and he stood innocent, but yet they still accused him. First Corinthians chapter 6, look with me at verse number 9. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9. The Bible says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Can I tell you something tonight, church? The Bible goes on to say, Paul speaking here in verse number 11, look what the scripture says. And such what? And such were some of you. You know what? You and I were in that same category. You and I were just as lost as the murderer. You and I was just as lost as the one on death row. You and I were as lost as the one that's out tonight selling drugs to somebody else's young and in the street. We were lost without God and we should have faced our judgment. But Jesus Christ came robed in flesh and He stood before Pilate and said, I am willing to take their place. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 and 11, and such were some of you. But I like this little three-letter word in my Bible. But. But. The Bible says such were some of you, but. Do y'all remember the day when you were one of those that we just read? You was a reviler. You was an extorturer. You, 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 people say, well, I wasn't a murderer, preacher. I guarantee you that you've killed that person that cuts you off driving to church tonight. You've killed that person in your heart that cuts you off as you was turning into McDonald's to get you a double, a double cheeseburger. Amen. That was who you used to be. We're supposed to be different. The Bible says, Such were some of you, but you're washed. But you're sanctified. But you're justified. You know what that word justified means? Just as if I had never sinned. That's how God looks at you. Why does He look at that, that, us that way? Because Jesus was willing to take our place. Because He stood in that judgment hall, willing to take your place and mine. The wages of sin that we owed, that we should have had to pay for, He took our place. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 1. Flip over with me. A couple more books. 1 Peter chapter 1. Then we're going to go back into the text. I've got a few things to show you. And then we'll be done. 1 Peter chapter 1 tonight. Verse 18. How in the world can somebody like us be redeemed? That price, that payment that had to be paid for. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. Notice the Bible. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers. But here's that word again. Look at verse 19. What's it say? But. He says, but with the precious what? Blood of Christ. The Bible says, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. You know how you and I uh, didn't have to pay for that price that you and I owed? You know how you and I got out of the, the wages of sin that we owed? Jesus came and He was willing to take your place and it started at the judgment hall as He stood before the people and the people that He came to, to, to save, the people that He came to give His life for, they cried out, crucify Him, crucify Him. They did not want Jesus. Did not want Him. The Bible says in John 3 and 17 and 18, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The Bible goes on to say this in verse 18, He that believeth on Him is not condemned. Ain't that great? If, you, if you're sitting here tonight and you've believed on the name of Jesus Christ, guess what? According to God's Word, not my Word, not the preacher's Word, not the Sunday school teacher's Word, not Mama's Word, not Daddy's Word, not some TV evangelist's Word, but according to the Word of God, the Bible says, if you've believed on the name of the Son of God, you are not condemned. That means we've been set free. But the Scripture goes on to say, it says, but he that... Uh, the, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
So you and I, in our lost condition, we're already condemned to hell. But, but Jesus stepped in that day and He said, I'm going to make a way for the people. I'm going to take their place in the mercy uh, and give them mercy in the hall of judgment. So we see the place of mercy. Now look with me in John 19. Stay with me, I'm going somewhere. John chapter 19. Let's flip over a little bit. So we see the place of mercy. Jesus was willing to take your place in the judgment hall. We find in, in John chapter 19, we're going to begin and read in verse number 1, but we find the persecution of mercy. So we see the place of mercy. Now we're going to look at the persecution of mercy. Notice, notice the text in John 19 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and did what? Scourged him. Can I tell you tonight, church, that's what they done to your Savior. That's what they done to my Savior. The Scripture says, Pilate then took Jesus. After they judged him, he went out before the people and said, Hey, I don't find nothing wrong with this man. He can't be guilty of what you say he's guilty of. There's nothing wrong with him. And they cried out the more, Crucify him, crucify him. So then he took him, and the Bible says that Pilate scourged him. It says in verse 2, And the soldiers plated a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and, and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again, and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth uh, to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Verse 5 said, Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns, and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. So, Brother Justin, what are you trying to get at tonight? I don't know how we can say it. Read the text about Jesus scourged, the scourging that took place, and it not break our hearts to know what the Lamb of glory, to know what Jesus did for you and He did for me. And the Bible says that He did it for the whole sins of the whole world. He was scourged. They put a crown of thorns on Him. We talked about them thorns this morning, how they hurt. How many of you tonight would like somebody to put a crown of thorns on your head? This scourging process, I don't know if many of you, I'm not going to tell you nothing tonight that you probably don't already know, but I don't know how many of you have studied much about the scourging that would have took place probably in the Bible days. I begin to dig a little bit and find out a few things about the scourging process. Before the crucifixion would have took place, most of the time, um, they would take the prisoner and they would put the prisoner out in the middle of, uh, I'm not used to preaching up there a whole lot, preacher. I move around a whole lot. Y'all just help me uh, tonight. But they would, they would take the prisoner and they would put the prisoner out in front of all the people in the middle of the street and, and they would have a post in the middle of the street and they would take that prisoner and tie their hands to the whipping post, so to speak. And it's often said, as you read many accounts of scourging and crucifixion, that the Roman soldiers, most of the time, they would use two, one on each side of the prisoner. But if not, if they, all they had was one, uh, one uh, Roman soldier, they would, uh, they would use two whips or, or two whipping devices. And he would set an alternate sides. And what they would do is they would take this prisoner out and they would tie him up to this post and they would strip him naked of everything that he has. I mean, he's out in front of everybody in the street, naked as he could be. Not a stitch of nothing on him. Now, let me ask you a question tonight. How many of you be alright with that? That right there in and of itself is about as shameful as it can get, preacher. I mean, the humility Christ had to have had in order for you and I to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb that we said, Redeemed, oh, how I love to proclaim it. We sing all these songs on Sunday, but I just wonder if we really think about in our minds what Jesus did for us so that we could stand and sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. They said most of the time these prisoners would stand with their hands tied and and they were people would, would stand on the street corner and they would spit on them and mock them and make fun of them. And the Roman soldiers would sit there with a, what we know as the cat of nine tails, a whipping device that, that had braids of leather and little steel balls on it and sheep bones and fragments of bones of animals. And they would sit and literally whip the prisoner until they were just nigh death. So many accounts that I've read says that most of the time that prisoner, they would whip him almost to death but, but the, the ribbons of meat would be laying off the backside of the prisoner. 
And they would be quivering because they were in such a shock. Almost a nervous breakdown because of all the pain and the agony. that the, Can I tell you this, uh, tonight, church, that's what Jesus did for you. He did that just for you. He was willing to take your place. The persecution of mercy. We find that Pilate said he took him out there and they scourged him. Then they would make fun of the prisoner. They would mock him as he stood there with ribbons of flesh hanging off of him and bloody, just a plumb bloody mess, almost unrecognizable. The Bible says in Luke 22 and 63, And the men that held Jesus mocked and smote him. Isaiah 42, 14 says, As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Can I tell you tonight, they beat God in the flesh, as I would say back in my hometown, to a pulp. They beat Him to the point that He was unrecognizable. And my friend, tonight, He did it for you and He did it for me. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 and verse 7, He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, is dumb, so He openeth not His mouth. He did it willingly. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being tied up, bound in a street corner, naked, while somebody takes a whip and beats your back? Beats you to the point that you are unrecognizable. You look like a thing instead of a human. But that's what Jesus did for you. We find the scourging process. After the scourging process, they would take the prisoner to the, to the place of crucifixion. They would take him and they would make him carry his own cross to where the crucifixion site was going to be. And they would lay the cross down upon the ground. And, and it said in so many different accounts with the crucifixion that they would, they would take the prisoner and they would lay him down upon the, upon the cross. And they would take some three-eighths inch Metal, metal nails or stakes about five to seven inches long and they would nail it in the hands and the feet of the prisoner. I mean, can you imagine? Can, I mean, listen to me now. How many's ever got a splinter? Help me now. You've got a splinter before. It hurts, don't it? Hang nail, huh? A paper cut. It hurts, don't it? Can you imagine having grown men lay you down on a piece of wood and hold your hands down and drive nails in your hands? But that's what Jesus did for you. And that's what He did for me. He was willing to take our place, the persecution of mercy. It said that once they, once they would nail the prisoner to the cross, that they would take that prisoner and they would upright him and drop him down in the hole to secure the cross. Can you imagine the pain as you've got nails drove through your hands and through your feet as you're erected up on a wooden cross and dropped into a hole? Can you imagine what that must have felt like? It's our darling Savior, Jesus Christ. After nailed them to the cross, they'd be lifted up and dropped in a hole. And it's often been said, different accounts of crucifixions, that bugs and, and, and insects would bury themselves into the gaping wounds of the individual that's being crucified. They would literally be eating the flesh alive, if you will. I mean, can you just imagine the, 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 the image that we're painting before you tonight? And that was the Lord Jesus Christ that was willing to take your place. He suffered like no man had suffered. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53 and verse 5, But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. With His stripes we are healed. 1 Peter 2 and 24 says, With His own, uh, with his own self bear our sins in His own body, on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. First John 3 and 5 says, Herein is love. Notice I said herein is love. Here's the example of love. The Bible says not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus Christ came robed in flesh. He took our place and He took our persecution. Somebody ought to say amen right there. Hallelujah. He took our place. 
But not only that do I find in, this, in, this, in these few texts, uh, verses of Scripture tonight. Look with me in John 19 and 6. We've looked at the place of mercy, the persecution of mercy. What about the pleasure of mercy? The pleasure of mercy. Look with me in John chapter 19 and verse 6. The Bible says, When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die. Because he made himself the Son of God. He didn't make himself anything, did he? He was the Son of God. The Bible says in verse 8, When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. I believe I would have been too. Verse 9, Went again to the judgment hall and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Verse 10, Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest, no, notice what Pilate tells Christ. Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Notice how Jesus answered him in verse 11. In other words, Pilate, excuse me, Pilate is saying, you know what? Listen here, Jesus. I have, the, I have the power to crucify you and I've got the power to release you. You need to answer me when I speak to you. Notice how, notice in verse 11 how Jesus answered. The Bible says, Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against thee. In other words, you know what? He's looking at Pilate and said, You know what, big boy? Don't let your britches get too big for you. Because you can't do anything that my Father don't give you the power to do to me. Amen. He says, Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from where? You know, that's the same way with Satan. Satan can't do anything to you that God don't allow him. Amen. He said, unless God, unless my Father gives it to you, and he says, therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. So we find here in, in, in John 19, verse 6 through 11, we find the pleasure in mercy. So what would make Christ be willing to go through what he went through, to be willing to be scourged and crucified? And what would make it? There was pleasure in it. There was pleasure in it. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him. The joy. You know what Jesus looked at the cross? He looked at it as joy. There was, he found joy in being scourged. He found joy in being whipped. He found joy in having his hands and his feet nailed to the cross. He found joy in, all, in giving up his life for you and I. There was joy in it. He said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down the right hand of the throne of God. So where did he find joy in the cross? How did he, how did he find pleasure in his mercy? As I was studying this message, the Lord pricked my heart. I was sitting there and I was like, brother, I said, how did God find mercy in going to the cross? How did, how did he find pleasure in going to the cross? How was there pleasure in that? I mean, I get a hangnail. I, I get something, I, uh, something a little, a, little uh, a piece of wood. I get something, uh, something stuck in my finger and it hurts. I don't do well with pain. I'm a sissy when it comes to pain. I am. I don't do good. Ask my wife. I get a headache and I'm about to die. And you men like that? I don't do well with pain. How, how could the Lord, how is it recorded in God's Word that there was joy that set before Him and He endured the cross and He despised the shame and the Bible says He sat down at the right hand. How did He do all these things? And Lord, give it to me. He said, Justin, because He's seen you. Do you know why the Lord went to the cross? Because He's seen you. Us. This world. Lost without hope. He said, I am the way. There is no, there is no other. He said, I am the way. The truth and the life. The Bible says in John 10 and verse 10 and verse 11, the Bible says, The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. But the Word of God says, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. How was their pleasure in his mercy? Because he was willing to go the extra mile that you and I could stand here tonight and say we've been redeemed. 
Hebrews 9 and 28 says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. 1 John 2, 2 says, He is a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. He came willing to die that you and I might find mercy. He came willing to die because there was pleasure in it for the joy that was set before Him. We see the pleasure in His mercy. Can I give you one more tonight? Look with me in John 20. Flip over a couple pages. John chapter 20, verse 1. I find a promise in His mercy. There's a promise. This is my favorite part. The promise in His mercy. Notice verse number 1. John chapter 20. The Bible says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto him, unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they've laid him. Verse 3, Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together. And the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher. And he stooping down and looking in, notice what he found. He saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Verse 6, Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. But I want you to look very closely these next couple of verses as we're going to dissect them and be done tonight. Verse number 7, the Bible says, And the what? The napkin. As I read this text, I thought to myself, Well, why have we went away from now? We, we were looking at the Lord. And they were saying, Well, He's not in. And the Bible says that He stooped down and they looked at it. He's not there. Praise God He's not there. Hallelujah. I'm glad He's not still there. Hey, can I just, can I just take a, st a, a moment and pull up in neutral and say our God's not dead? Uh, I, I'm glad that I don't carry my God around in my pocket. I, I'm, glad, I'm glad tonight that I don't sit here and pray to some dead God that can't hear me. I'm glad my God is alive and well tonight. We've changed gears. We went from, from looking at Christ that He's not there. Now we see the linen clothes. But now, now there's a specific in your Bible that says that now the napkin. Okay? Look, look with me now. Follow your Bible. The napkin that was about His head. So the Scripture draws focus to the napkin. The napkin that was about His head not lying with the linen clothes. So, so they were separated, if you will but wrapped together in a place where? By itself. The Scripture says, Then went and also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. Verse 9, here it is. For as yet they knew not the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So, number one, if you will, dealing with the promise in his mercy, there's a risen Savior. We serve an alive, a God that's alive and well. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1 and 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. Here it is, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Boy, it was amazing to know that Jesus loved me enough that He was willing to come robed in flesh and die for me, take my place. But if He would have just died for me, well, that's great and that's good and I'm not taking nothing away from the death of Christ, but can I tell you something? Without Him raising the third day, we would still be people that had no hope. But He got up out of the grave. He's alive and well this morning, this evening. The Bible says in John 11 and verse 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet, yet shall he live. John 6 and 40 says, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Revelation 1 and 18 says, I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. 
Can I tell you tonight, church, we're victorious tonight because we serve a risen Savior. We have something tonight that this world don't have. We're gathered here, we're assembled here tonight in Hillsville, Virginia. I guess that's how y'all say it. It's not Hillsville, is it? Hillsville, Hillsville, however you want to say it. We're gathered here today, uh, this afternoon, because we serve a risen Savior, because we've come to honor Him and hear the preaching of His Word. We are victorious tonight because we serve a risen Savior. Praise the Lord. But I notice here in the text, uh, my attention draws to verse number 20, or, or uh, verse number 6 of John 20. And we look down through the scriptures and how they looked in in verse 6 and they saw the linen clothes lying. And in verse number 7, we go from the linen clothes to verse number 7 to the napkin. The napkin that was about his head, the napkin he was wrapped in. The Bible says now is, is in a place by itself. It's off by its side. Away from everything else. And I got to thinking and pondering on it. Like I said, I'm probably not going to tell you anything you don't already know tonight, but it sure did make me happy when I was reading it. Do you know what it said in Jewish tradition? When a, a servant comes in to feed his master. And as the servant comes in and he prepares the table for his master and his master sits down and he begins to partake of the food, it's said that uh, when the master is done eating, he wipes all the grease off his beard, cleans himself up real nice and neat and all that stuff, he takes the napkin and he'll wad the napkin up and he'll throw it down on the plate and it'll signify to the servant as he's off in the distance, he, he's not in the presence of the master, he's off in the distance, and when, when the servant then comes in to check on his master to see if he needs any more uh, uh, nachos and cheese dip, amen, we went and ate Mexican this afternoon, I still got nachos and cheese dip on my brain, and when he comes in to check on the master, comes in to check and see if he's doing okay, he sees the napkin wadded up, he says, you know what, the master's done, I can now clean up the dishes. But notice the text. How did they find the napkin? Folded together in a place off by itself. In Jewish tradition, that, that same scenario, the master, if he had to go away and attend to some business or, or he had to go away and prepare some things or do some things or handle some things, you know what that master would do? That master would take his, his napkin and he would still wipe the grease out of his beard. He would still wipe the grease off his fingers, but he would fold that napkin and he'd put it real nice and neat and he would lay it right there at his plate. And when the servant would come in to check on his master to see how his master was doing and he'd seen the napkin folded, it would see it would signified to that servant that hey the master has gone away for just a little while but he's coming back again somebody help me out right there tonight the bible says that jesus when they went into the tomb they found the linen clothes lying they did not find the savior but what they did find was a napkin folded off by itself can i tell you what that was signifying to those people that came into that tomb that day and what's signifying to you and i today in 2020 that jesus has gone away for a little while but he's coming back again amen he's coming back not only do we serve a risen savior that's one of the promises in his mercy but we serve a uh, there is the promise of his mercy not only is it a risen savior but it's also a returning savior he's coming back the bible says first thessalonians 4 16 for the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. How many of you is waiting on the rapture? Huh? Well, I wish He'd heard Him come. I don't know about you, and I want to tell you this real quick. What time have we got? Is that clock back there right, preacher? Huh? It's almost 7.30. Bear with me, I'm almost done. I'll never forget before me and my wife got married. I prayed a selfish prayer, preacher. Any of y'all ever prayed a selfish prayer? My prayer was this. Lord, I've waited a long time for my wife. And Lord, I mean, I see the signs of the times. I, I read the scriptures. I know we're living in the last days. But Lord, would you please, if you don't hear any other prayer that I pray, hear this one, please, Lord. I want to know what it's like to be a husband. I want to know what it's like to wait at the end of the aisle on my beautiful bride to walk through the doors and hear the music played. Dun, dun, da, da. You know, was that some kind of, was that a funeral song there I was trying to, uh, 
I, I wanted to hear the bride march. I, I want to see my beautiful wife walk down the aisle and, and, and devote my life to her in front of God and everybody make a vow between me and her uh, to God. I want to know what it's like to be a husband. And that day finally came, preacher. I got married. God heard my prayer. And I got to looking at the world. It keeps getting worse. I said, Lord, I prayed another selfish prayer. I said, Lord, you've answered my prayer. You, you let me know now what it's like to be a husband. But a couple years in our marriage, about four years, if, I don't, if my memory serves me right, I got to pray, Lord, please don't come back just yet. Lord, I'm, I'm ready whenever you come. But Lord, I want to know what it's like to hold that little baby in my arms and look down in, the, in his or hers little eyes and know what it's like for her to look or, uh, him to look at me and say, Dad... Lord, please, please, Lord, I just, just hold off the coming of Christ just long enough that I can know what it's like to be called Daddy. And now I've got three beautiful babies. But can I tell you tonight, church, this world keeps getting worse. I hate to see what my babies and your babies are going to have to deal with. I'm sitting here saying today, Lord, please come quickly. I don't know about you tonight, but I'm ready. I hope you're ready. I hope you've made the proper preparation. You've repented of your sins. You're born again tonight because He could come at any moment. The promise in His mercy is we serve a risen Savior. But not only is He a risen Savior, but He's a returning Savior. I want to give you one more and I'm done. Because we serve a risen Savior, and we have a returning Savior. You know what that should produce in you and I? Some rejoicing saints. Hey, we ought to be shouting the rooftop off. We ought to be telling folks that we come in contact with at work tomorrow, at the gas station this afternoon, at Walmart this evening when you stop. We ought to be telling people about Jesus Christ and how good He's been to you and I, that He was willing to take your place and my place and die for us on the cross of Calvary. It ought to make us rejoice. Two verses and I'm done. 1 Corinthians 2.9 But as it is written... I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered in the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. How many of you is ready for heaven? No more sin. No more Satan. Hey, that, there is one cry that I want to hear. Y'all may think bad of me for this, but I'm just being straight honest with you tonight. There's one cry that I want to hear, and that's the devil when Satan throws him in a lake of fire forever. All the things he's done in my life, the things he's put me and my family through, the attacks and the things, that's one cry that I can't wait to hear. To know there's never going to be another Satan anymore. Oh yeah, he's like, he's still there. Hey, yeah, yeah, there's never going to be an end to him, but he's not going to be in my presence anymore. I'm not going to have to deal with him anymore. He's gone. No more sin. No more death. No more departing. It will make us rejoice. The Bible says in Revelation 21, 4, I'm done. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. All your worries, all your cares, all the things that you go through in this life, all the hardships, the heartaches, guess what? They're all going to be gone. We have a risen Savior, a returning Savior. And through those two things, if nothing else tonight you get out of the message, get this, it ought to produce some rejoicing saints. When mercy walked in and took your place and took mine. Amen. Let's bow your heads, close your eyes. Lord, we surely love you tonight. Father, we do thank you for the preaching of your word. Thank you for this blessed book. Lord, I pray, God, that you would, Lord, just stir the hearts of your people tonight. Help us, Lord, to see Christ and all the things that he went through for us. Lord, that we could stand tonight and say that we're saved on our way to heaven. Lord, I pray that you would uh, put some joy. I, Lord, it seems like the churches we go to now with this, this COVID and all the things that's going on in the world, people are just beat down and depressed and, and Lord, just disoriented. God, I pray that you would lift up the church tonight knowing, Lord, that he said he would come. 
He said he would die and then he would rise again. And all those things come to pass, Lord. And he also said he'd return. Lord, help us to leave with joy in our hearts and a pep in our step, Lord, tonight as we think about the returning Savior coming back for the church. Lord, we do love you. Thank you for this opportunity once again. Most of all, if there's one that's never been saved, God, I pray that you deal with their heart tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Preacher. How many of you are thankful for the mercy of God? Amen. Great message, brother. Appreciate that. Appreciate the, the McCrack. You guys being with us today and serving in so many different ways, what a blessing it's been. And, uh, and uh, great messages this morning and tonight. And uh, I'm encouraged. How about you? <laughs> the joy of the Lord is our what? Amen. And a merry heart doeth good like a what? All right. So let's put a smile on our face. Let's enjoy the mercy and the grace of God as we depart from this place. Father, thank you again for the message, the messenger. Lord, thank you for the reminder of how great your mercy is. Thank you for what you did in our place when you took our place and for leaving your place to come to this place to take our place and so that we could go to your place, Lord. Thank you for my, my friend, my new friend, Lord. Thank you for the, the this bless his family, bless their ministry, Lord, and just open the doors they need to have open, Lord, as he goes around uh, around this country preaching your precious word. And, and we just thank you for like-minded preachers, like-minded uh, believers, Lord, that are that are standing on the gospel and sharing your great love with others. And just uh, dismiss us now with your blessing. Lord, may we have a great week. Put someone in our path this week, or maybe multiples, Lord, that need to hear about this mercy we heard about tonight, your mercy, your love, your grace, and what you did when you died in our place and rose again. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.